You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Well, I um, I recently started a, a series called Kingdom First. Matthew 6, verse 33 says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Within that series, I'm doing a bit of a mini-series focusing specifically on relationships. What does it mean to live kingdom-first relationships? And uh, this, this is a series. Can I encourage you to watch the ones that you miss online because it's going to make more sense. They link together. We're on a journey. This is not a standalone one-off moment. And um, before we jump in today, can I just tell you a story? And before I tell you a story, can I tell you a story that flows from that story? That sounds complicated, but it's hopefully not. A, f- a few weeks ago, I was at Hull Vineyard, and um, all the other church leaders across the northwest were there. Steph and I are overseen by area leaders. We also have trustees at a local level. We've built a team around us, also a leadership team here in this church. But in terms of the vineyard movement, we're overseen by an area leader. And as a side point, whilst we're talking about relationships, I, I wanted to tell you that. I think it's important. We are under authority. Whilst we disciple others, we're also discipled ourselves. And I also wanted to say, Steph and I lead this church together as co-laborers. Not all of you would realise that. Our leaders would know that. But because of the life stage we're in, because we've got young children, we don't have equal visibility. It doesn't mean we don't carry equal weight. And I say that because as we talk about relationships... It's, it's an important thing, I, say, I, I believe, to say, because I want to take the opportunity to affirm women in leadership. We believe God calls and gifts leaders, and within the church, he does that as he chooses. And that isn't limited by gender, age, ethnicity, economic status, or any other human distinction. That's, they're both side points, but actually I think they're really important points to make. You don't often get the opportunity to say them, and it kind of flowed from this story, so I thought I'm going to grab the moment. Anyway, back to the story. I'm in Hall, and uh, we've just had a time of worship, and it's a room full of leaders, so it's a safe place to give complete freedom to the Spirit to do whatever he wants to do. So the guy, as we come to at the end of worship, the guy who's leading, he, he stands at the front and says, oh, let's just wait, see what the Lord might want to say, see if there's any words or any pictures and um, we're in the zone you know like the eyes closed hands out zone and that's the zone Um, (laughs) within about 15 seconds of being in the zone there's this almighty bang and I've got no other way of explaining it other than a pretty significant explosion has just happened the building literally shakes and they meet in a converted warehouse and there's like corrugated iron panelling round the top sides of the building and the whole thing like ripples along with the force of the explosion And there's a a couple of people scream, and I love drama. So um, I've I've got my eyes open, and there's a few things going through my head. The second coming is in full swing. Um, Jesus has just come back. 
but surely the epicentre for that's not going to be Hull. No disrespect for them. And so I, I kind of dismiss that as, a, as an option. Then it's like, well, there's a major earthquake again, like Hull. And um, then it's like, well, the heating system has just exploded. But I don't know these things. I've not seen that before. But this was way louder than I would expect that to be. So anyway, I'm, I'm distracted, as it would appear, as the rest of the room. So the guy leading, it seems like forever, because everyone's just looking around, like, come on, someone's got to say something there. What's happening? And he says, oh, no, nobody worry, even though everybody's worried. Every now and again, maybe once a year, that happens. And I'm like, ooh, hull. And uh, there's, anyway, he goes on to explain, basically, there's this um, car-crushing plant next door. And every now and again, they crush a car, and it's got an LPG cylinder still in the car. And uh, honestly, it was quite something. I've seen them explode in fire, but crushing them, you're like, ooh, that is something else. Anyway, as, as we look at the second part of this relationship series today, seamless. There's going to be a seamless link, don't panic. My, my aim today is to stop the LPG cinder exploding. You know, when life around, when the cultural pressures are applied, I think there can be unexpected explosions unless we get that cylinder out of the car. I want to get it out of the car today. There's things in your life, there's things in your relationships that are not going to be helpful and they can cause an explosion. Our obedience deepens our intimacy with Jesus. If we want to know the Father, we've got to not only love him, we've also got to obey him. Love manifests in obedience. I touched last week on 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says this in verse 25. He says, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. When it comes to relationships, we need wisdom. And today I just want to share a few stories that will, that will stir you hopefully towards considering and pursuing a kingdom-first lifestyle with regard to relationships. I'm not here to, to argue with you. I'm not here to argue with people who don't want to be involved, and I'm not here to judge people who don't want to plug in. You know, that's okay. I hope we're a church that will welcome you and say, hey, come as you are. You are welcome to be part of us. Equally, I believe that the fullness that God has for you, for you to see it, for to, to, to really know him and love him, we actually believe that God's best for us is, yes, come as you are, but encounter him. Don't stay as you are. Let the Spirit of God guide you and shape you and lead you into all truth as he transforms you. So I'm here to present you with what I believe to be kingdom-first living and thinking with regards to this area of relationships. I'm here to find a group of people who want to see a move of God in this city and choose discipleship. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 23 says, You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Now the context of this conversation is that Paul is saying as followers of Jesus, we need to give Jesus our full and total allegiance. The Bible says you can't follow Jesus and the crowd. You can't live a double life. If, if we want to know the Father, 
We've got to not only love him, we've got to obey him. Now, some actions may not be wrong, but they may not be in the best interest of others. We have freedom in Jesus, but we shouldn't use that freedom at the expense of hurting others. We are to not only consider ourselves, but also consider the needs and the perspectives of others. Now, we could get quite bogged down in the context of that passage talking about meats and um, how sometimes we can cause offence and all sorts of other things. I I think if we do, we're going to lose where I'm trying to go today. But what I want to say from that passage is our actions must be motivated by God's love. So that all that we do is for his glory. Can we keep this as as our guiding principle by asking, is this action glorifying to God? How do I honour God through this action? How am I putting first the kingdom of God? How can I maximise my kingdom potential? You know, in the context of relationships, what we do and how we act affects us and it affects others. A lot of the passage is talking about the impact on others, but I also want to ask, what's the impact on you? What is wisdom for you? Now, with regards relationships, there are some things that you could argue you could do. You could do them. But I'd say it's like putting an LPG cylinder in the car that's about to be crushed. It's just not a good idea. So for a few minutes today, I just want to look at this within the context of dating. And um, firstly, can I call it dating? Honestly, I, I get a bit lost on this one. Dating feels such a cheesy word. What's the other options? Going out, seeing each other, courting. They're like, oh gosh, all of them just sink me. Um, The ones I really don't like, try before you buy, stuff like that. It's like, oh goodness. So let's let's call it dating. You know, when, when I used to do youth work years ago, I used to always get the question posed to me, how far is too far? You know, in the context of dating, how far is too far? Basically, how much can I get away with before I feel guilty or before I'm no longer an authentic follower of Jesus? Honestly, that question in itself is so, so, so the wrong way round. It shouldn't be how far is too far, but how can I get as close to Jesus as I possibly can? How can I be all that Jesus has called me to be? I would say to anyone in the dating stage, live for Jesus in every way you possibly can. Look around you, see who's keeping up. Push them as close to Jesus as you possibly can. Don't let dating be the all-consuming force in your life. Let Jesus and his kingdom be all that consumes you. If things work out, honestly, it'll be better for you. If things don't, will you ever regret having pushed somebody as close to Jesus as you possibly can. It will minimise the pain for both of you and leave you in the best place to remain treating each other with an extra measure of grace and respect in what is actually a really complex and messy season of life. Steph and I will have been married for 13 years. Our anniversary is later this month. I have currently remembered and I'm quite delighted about that. But I'll, I'll never forget 
just a few months after getting together, getting together is like code word for dating. I couldn't use dating again. I was like, oh no, I've just used it. But Steph, Steph moved to Leeds. Now there's nothing wrong with Leeds in itself. It was just that I was living in, in Essex. And over the three years that she was in Leeds, my little car clocked up 96,000 miles. Anyway, one of the first challenges that we faced as a newly found long distance relationship was working out where on earth I'd stay when I went to visit. I couldn't afford a hotel. Camping in the north is not a good option. Um, the, you know, the easy option, the kind of the obvious option, would have just been to sleep on the floor of her room. But it has to be said that having to resist me would have placed Steph under phenomenal <laughs> temptation. Uh, she's got eyes, you know, so, I mean... <laughs> Shut as you know, the minute's all right. Joking aside, I... You know, both of us, we wanted to be obedient to God, prioritising purity. We knew that sleeping in the same room was not going to be the wise thing to do. And also, if we were in the same room, all of Steph's housemates may have just presumed, probably would have presumed, that we were just sleeping together. And we longed to not compromise our resolve or our witness to those around us. The passage says, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Don't be concerned for your own good, but also for the good of others. So I contacted the local vineyard church and tried to see if anybody in that church would be willing to, to put us up. And amazingly, a couple offered me a room for a small fee. Small fee. Honestly, if anyone asks you to do something like that where they're just trying to live right, let them do it for free. But anyway, um, I'm still bitter. I, I, I think. That's not the point. Anyway, I, I became um, increasingly nervous. When, when this guy said to me that he expected me to be in by 9 o'clock each night. You're like, oh, this isn't going to work out. But do you know the icing on the cake was it turns out this very willing guy actually lived 40 miles away, practically the other side of the Yorkshire Dales. And in rush hour, it would have been quicker for me to drive back to Essex. It wasn't a workable option. So what, what do you do? Do you choose the right option or do you choose the easy option? So I started asking around again and I found a couple of mature students in the church who lived about three miles away who said I could sleep on their sofa. And um, I was like, great, quite naive. Uh, Popped round for a visit and I've seen some student accommodation in my time, but this house was like, it was like another level. They were using paper plates to save washing up, which, if I'm honest, in itself, I don't actually have a problem with that. <laughs> Apart from it would seem even putting the paper plates in the bin was like too big an ask. So they showed me the sleeping quarters, which was the sofa, and you're going to think I'm joking, but I'm actually not joking. Deadly serious. This rat ran behind <laughs> the sofa as they're showing me. So, like... Plan A wasn't going to work and Plan B wasn't really looking the greatest. What, what do you do? Do you choose the right option or do you choose the easy option? I remember driving away in my early 20s and I said to God, you, you're having the laugh. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to do the right thing. What's all these obstacles? Meanwhile, baffled absolutely baffled as to why we'd go to such great lengths to try and find somewhere else for me to stay. Some of the lads 
in Steph's house in her first year declared that they didn't want me to go and wanted me to sleep on the floor in their rooms. It, it was really quite incredible. We had phenomenal opportunities as a result of that to share our faith. And in, in the second year, when Steph and six others found a house, unbeknown to us until they moved in, there was actually an eighth room in the house. It was so small that the landlord wasn't able to rent it out. And the window in it wasn't actually a window. It was just like a hole in the wall. Um, but it was perfect. I could get a single bed in it, a suitcase. And, like, again, you're going to think I'm joking, but no joke. This little hole every now and again, this blackbird in the morning would just kind of pop in and sing a morning song. It, it sounds beautiful. It wasn't. It was freezing. But why, why do I tell you that? Well, not the blackbird bit, but because Steph and I just wanted to be obedient. It wasn't practical. It didn't make any sense to those around us. But we wanted to do the right thing, not the easy thing. And I hope we would have done that regardless of whether or not the easy option had have turned up. Let me tell you why we did that. Because we wanted to live kingdom first in our relationship. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. If you want to know the Father, you can't only love him, you've also got to obey him. Get the LPG cylinder out of the car. Now you could say, well I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is good for you. But we live under grace, not law. It'll be fine. Why are you coming up with all these rules and regulations? Why are you trying to restrict my freedoms? I'm not. I'm trying to show you the blessing of obedience and the fullness of a relationship with Jesus that you can have if you choose his kingdom first before short-term desires, wants and perceived needs. If you want the best for the other person, if you want the strongest potential relationship you will realise that the closer they are to Jesus, the closer they will be to you. Because we don't build on chemistry. We don't build on material possessions. We don't build on what makes us feel good. We don't build on, oh, we get along. It feels right. We build on the truth of Jesus and a commitment to obedience to him. I think if we're honest, often we would prefer a consultant rather than a king. Wouldn't you say that? He's, he's not just a saviour, he's a king. He wants the role of Lord in your life. His kingdom extends every time we say yes. Every time we make the small step and make the choice to put first his ways rather than our ways. Could I have slept on the floor? At times, I, I trust myself. Yeah, right. You know? I tell you now, I don't trust the enemy. I don't trust his role. His role is to kill and destroy. Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. And I choose Jesus. I choose wisdom. Not my wisdom. His wisdom. I choose to restrict my perceived freedoms so that the kingdom might be extended and so that I might stay as close as I can to Jesus and might push Steph as close as I can to Jesus. We need wisdom. Honestly, as we talk about this, I want to say you need wisdom. Go get it. Seek it out. You know the guy who led the church we were in at the time? This is about a year before we found ourselves in that situation. He said to me on a Sunday, I, did, I didn't really know him at all. He said to me, 
Actually, he didn't say to me. He said it to Steph's parents who passed it on to me. That's pastoral gossip right there. He, he asked them, where's Paul going to sleep when he goes to visit Steph? I don't think he's wise he sleeps on the floor in her room. You know, as a young follower of Jesus, do you know what I thought when he, when he said that? I thought, thank you so much for speaking wisdom into my life. I'm so grateful. That must have come as a cost to you to say that. But thank you for looking out for us. Thank you for believing us. Thank you for seeking the best. Honestly, that's not what I thought. <laughs> I kind of got there eventually, but at the, at the time I was like, how dare you? How dare you have an opinion on my life? I can't afford a hotel. You know, next thing, you're going to be asking me to tithe. How dare you? <laughs> what, do you know what a fool I was to think that? Praise God. Even now, I praise God for his wisdom and his willingness to speak it into my life, even when I couldn't see it, for staring the question, for believing in us enough to say the right thing, not the popular thing, and actually that the Spirit of God would stir us enough months later to choose to do the right thing when it came to it. You know, today, if at points I offend your mind, I want to pray that Jesus will reveal your heart to show you his best. Listen, I, w- I want to say this. Don't sleep together before you get married. Actually, can I go further and say, put things in your life, put people in your life that will help you and support you not to put the cylinder in the car. Not just don't sleep together, but don't open the door of sexual exploration. Surely I need share no more detail than that. You know what I mean. If, If you've slept together, I don't judge you. I love you. I don't judge you, but honestly, stop now. Choose obedience. Obedience doesn't come without a cost. They saw Jesus die on the cross, but he got off it. He got off it to forgive us and to free us and to see us be all that we can be and he wants us to be in its fullness, and that fullness is found in the place of obedience. Steph often uses this phrase, and I've nicked it. It's it's brilliant. She often says to me, don't give the enemy a leg up. You know, honestly, he causes enough mischief as it is without us giving him a leg up. Don't give him a foothold in your life. Don't open the door. In fact, I want to say, go out of your way to shut the door. What does that mean in a season and stage of dating? If that means restricting your freedoms, don't see it as a chore. See it as a pleasure. You know, for me as a married guy, I don't want to spend time with other women alone. It's not wise. I wouldn't travel in a car with another female alone. Oh, Paul, you're so traditional. You know, just go with the flow, get with the culture. What does it say in the Bible? Don't go in a chariot with another woman alone, you know? Does it say that? Where does it say that? Show me. Chill out. No. I don't want to spend time building a relationship with another woman that's not my wife. I don't want others to see me doing that and to start gossiping. I don't want to give the enemy a leg up in my life. He's enough of a pig as it is. Don't give him a leg up. How does that apply to dating? Can I say have a life review? Step back and have a look at your life. How are you living? 
What are you looking for? Is it kingdom first? Where's the enemy trying to get a foothold in your life? Why do you want to be in a bedroom alone? Why do you want to be in a house alone? Constantly culture is saying, be alone, be alone, be alone. I want to say, be around others. Build your life, build relationship in the context of community. Don't live exclusively. Get out and be in environments of discipleship. Don't become so consumed with each other that you neglect Christ, his church, and his cause because the kingdom should be first and it's the environment of the church that will disciple you and speak wisdom into your life and show you more of Jesus. You know, I've known people who have slept in the same bed together and they say, it's okay, Paul, we're not sleeping together. Honestly, You're doing damage to your relationship, and if you can justify it, your vision is off. Get a vision for Kingdom First relationships. It's going to change what you do. Steph and I didn't go away. We didn't travel away together before we got married. Am I being legalistic? I'll leave it with you. Don't settle for less. But, you know, people say to me, should I date somebody who doesn't know Jesus? I'm not your dad. You know, honestly, actually, I feel like sometimes I am because I care for you. I really care for you. You, I want the best for you. You are my brothers and sisters. We are family. Like I said last week, if if you're single, you are important to me. You are important to us because we're family. And you know what? Nothing has changed. Just because we're talking about dating, nothing has changed. You are important to us. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can a righteous how can righteousness be partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? Strong language from Paul. Many people discount this wisdom, I think, and regret it later. But I need to be with somebody and nobody's showing up. I need to widen the net. Honestly, listen to last week's talk. Don't allow emotion or passion to bind you with somebody that will not be your spiritual partner. There is real wisdom in what Paul is saying. Honestly, our point of connection is Jesus. The closer we are to God, the closer we become to each other. It's hard enough to live an obedient life and a kingdom first life with somebody who is passionately pursuing Jesus, let alone with somebody who has a different vision or perspective. You know, I say that as sensitively as I can. I've got many friends over the years who have walked away from Jesus. I'm not I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about starting out. Last week I said to those that are single, you don't want to be in a relationship based on physical, material, personality, connection based criteria. You want to be with somebody that is absolutely 100% giving everything they have got for Jesus. And if that person doesn't turn up, then you are still seeking the kingdom first and everything else that you need will be added to you. Nothing has changed since last week. Just because we're now talking about dating and it feels a bit more uncomfortable to say it, it's the same reality. I'm not trying to be cold, I'm not trying to be callous. It's much easier to say 
but when we're talking about real people, real lives and real situations, what I'm making black and white can be so complex at a relational level. But I can't shy away from what I believe is wisdom. There are, and there will be, many examples among us. We've got many dear friends who have seen this work out. But what I'm suggesting here is that there is wisdom in what Paul is saying. Our culture of authenticity has reversed the dynamic that scripture is the primary text from which we seek to live out our lives. And the new modern mindset says that our lives and our personal experience have become the primary text. Often now scripture isn't allowed to contradict modern impulses and thinking. Honestly, it's why more than ever we need to cling to relationship and discipleship. We need to cling to environments like small group because culture is shaping us. Culture would say to us, you don't even need to be part of a church. You know, technology currently is encouraging us to personalise our faith experience. Just get a podcaster, your favourite speaker. Plug into your solo worship experience. Attend church purely just for the social experience and the relational connections that it will give you. And if you know if it doesn't work out, just find find another place in the competitive spiritual market. Honestly, no, I fight that. Bed into relationship even when it's hard. The guy that used to lead that church that we were in that said that to me through Steph's parents, said don't sleep on her floor. Thank you, Jesus, for his wisdom. Thank you for saying, actually, at the time, what I didn't want to hear. For believing in me enough to see me discipled in community, not discipled by my own choosing, by my own independence or by the influence of culture, or even through my own naivety and failure to think it through. Thank you for showing me an opportunity for kingdom first living. In our culture, sex has become the sun around which everything revolves. You know, in the reality of the kingdom of God, we live by a different script. We revolve around a different sun. That is cheesy, but I could not get it, not get it in there. S-U-N-S-O-N, if you've got to explain it, you're in a bad place anyway. But it's, it's true, you know, our culture has moved away from a reliance on God as a source of reality. And we've come to place the full weight of ourselves on the here and now experience. Right at the heart of modern culture is the idea that personal freedom is ours. We can live well and we can truly be ourselves if we're free from any, any sort or any sign of outside influence. Righto. That's not true. In contrast with the Christian conviction that personal freedom is, is only possible really by receiving God's grace and living in step with his commandments and his spirit. If you love him, you'll obey him. Listen, I'm, I'm not going to tell you how to live. I've been in places like that. I've been sat down by church leaders and given the finger, you need to live like this. You know, everything within me, when that happens, makes me want to do the opposite. Maybe, maybe that's just me. I'm just being honest. I'd, I'd say, actually, I've come a long way. I'm not like that 
anymore. Quite the opposite. I seek out people who are speaking to my life and show me more of Jesus. I've got some of over some of that pride and rebellious spirit, but maybe that's another story. But my point is, I'm not. I'm not here to convict you. That's the Spirit's job. I'm not here to make you feel bad. The Spirit frees you from guilt and from shame. I'm not here to show you a list of do's and don'ts. You know, when you're faced with this one, that will be okay. And, or, I wouldn't do that. That's not going to end well. I'm, I'm not here to do that. I'm here to say, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Seeing Jesus changes everything. We move from how far is too far, how much can I get away with, to moving to fall on our knees, falling before you, risen, sovereign Lord. How can I please you? How can I seek first your kingdom and everything else I need will be added and I trust you. I trust you for that. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. If the LPG cylinder is in your life, get it out. If it's not in your life, keep it out of your life. In an age of rich digital media, fast lightning networks and aggressive consumerism, nobody's immune from the daily reality. We need to guard our hearts. Guard your heart becomes an important guide because our affections and our desires can take this gravitational force and direction of their own unless we guard them. A vision for relationships, a vision for dating well. You know, it's not a big stick to make people obey a law. It's not a postmodern confusion. Vision puts flesh on the bones. It draws us to life. It can animate the form of life and the, the full life that is envisioned in the gospel. I'm not sticking a sign up today saying, hey, don't walk on the grass. I'm not trying to make it feel restrictive or legalistic. Because if we do, often we don't even know why we've done that. I'm trying to mark out some boundaries to a field so that the game of life can be played well and played with conviction. Staying within the boundaries isn't the primary focus, but it does make the game possible and mean that we can play it well. Do you see what I mean? I think the two are slightly different. So often... Within our culture, the biblical vision of relationships has been portrayed as this narrow, naive thing. Yet in its proper perspective, it represents an adventure far greater than the restricted freedoms or confines of our private selves. Often our our failure actually isn't that we don't know what to do, it's failing to want to do it. And that's often because we see rules and regulations rather than choosing to restrict our own freedoms because we see that as the best thing to do because it's the place of obedience, it's the place of relationship and fullness in all that God has for us and longs for us to live out. We need to expand our vision. Final thing to say and I'm I'm wrapping up. Can I share a few reflections on online dating? Please hear me right. I am not saying it's wrong. 
and I'm not saying it is bad. I know many people who live kingdom first lives who have met their spouse online and are happily married. Honestly, I'm not criticising it and I'm not speaking to speak negatively about it. But like with anything in any area of our lives, there are challenges and there are pitfalls sometimes. And I just want to highlight some of them in this particular area. I'm not seeking to upset or to offend. That said, actually, I would rather say something than leave this hugely expanding area with many of you asking questions. Online dating is getting bigger and is about to get bigger. I'm told Facebook are currently developing an online platform that will cause it to explode more than ever into the mainstream. We need wisdom in this area and please afford me the grace to potentially get it wrong in my articulation of it but understand my desire to speak wisdom into areas where many of you are asking questions. A corrupting dynamic does not mean that we have to be corrupted by it, just that we have to be wise and have our eyes open. You know, the romantic ideal that the perfect soulmate is waiting out there within Christian circles, the, the, the mythical notion of the one, that perfectly compatible person that God has been preparing for us. You know, my question would be whether that quest for the one weakens our ability to pursue relationships that are right in front of us or to work through relationships to which we're already committed. The challenge is it can encourage us to remove romantic relationships from our natural communities and place them in a very private sphere. It can tempt us to travel through the world as private and individual in, sorry, independent consumers of people as much as the world teaches us and encourages us to do that with things. Online dating is a business and it is designed with a purpose and there's a conflict between what we would want and what the system requires of us. A permanently paired off data is lost revenue. It can feed and it can fuel in us at times Something, a desire to have a notification that a, you know, a new person is browsing a profile or our self-worth can be tied within that. Often how we can be matched is through sharing core preferences and interests. The assumption is, therefore, that similarity is actually the key ingredient for relationships. Much research would show that often what people share online is often more aspirational than honest. When we see our limited options within a church or our friends or we find ourselves in a complex relationship, the idea of unlimited choice could become quite tantalising. However, it can also give you the kind of freeze that you get in the supermarket when you see just how many cereals are on offer. So many options and varieties. I'm not trying to trivialise it, but studies are currently showing that our use of online dating can reshape our approach to sex, to love and to relationships. These studies are showing that our willingness to commit, particularly um, to commit to relationships, depends on our perception of a good alternative. Online websites offer us nearly infinite 
potential partners, at times seemingly undermining our ability to enter into long-term sustainable relationships. The tendency can then become less willing to work through something because other options are available. Actually, that is a cultural challenge. I'd say the same of the mindset that breeds the church-hopping culture that often we see. It is 100% true that Christian online dating users have a much higher vision of marriage and committed relationships than any secular counterpart. There is a less immediate sexual priority. And the smaller pool of potential local people, though, means that the search can extend much further geographically. That can significantly change the nature of the dating and the relational discernment process that can become more one-dimensional and be something that is often conducted in private. You know, as a young church plant that you would hope to see grow, I'm aware that I could sink this church through this series, but honestly, in love and sensitivity, I long to say what I believe is right rather than what is popular. I'm not saying online dating is wrong. If you hear that, I'm not. If you feel judged, I'm not judging you. And if you feel criticised, I'm not criticising you. As I said earlier, I've got a number of friends, some very close friends, to whom this has been a huge blessing and has led to Jesus-centred marriages. For some of you, in the, days of, in the days ahead, and actually for some of you even now, this is the right option, and I am not saying it isn't. Honestly, though, I would just say be aware. Be aware, guard your heart and think through some of the things I've just said. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. I'm seeking to as sensitively as I can say that there could be challenges. I'm just trying to put on the table some of the things that I believe will be helpful for you to think through. I've thought long and hard about this series. Why have I given the whole week to talking about dating? What does that have to do with those that are not dating? Honestly, this isn't about the detail. This isn't about every scenario that we can or can't come up with. This is about a mindset. It's about a heart posture and a focused perspective. This is about vision, living well with purpose and vision with a kingdom mindset. For all of us, our lives, this isn't rules and regulations. It's relationship. I don't want to be somebody that grieves the Holy Spirit. I don't want to dampen what he wants to do in, more li in my life. And the more I do dampen it, the less responsive I become. And then the easier it is to continue to dampen it. I long for you to have the resources that you need to live out the most kingdom-centered lives you possibly can. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.